So give, so give us one thing that we can end off the show with, Gar, uh, that you'd like to say, and then I'll go ahead and call it a, call it a wrap. So, well, I, I will just use this or say this. Um, you know, Dave Stewart was one of my uh, guys that actually taught me and helped me quite a bit going through baseball. And um, he's a mentor. Um, he's, an, he's an advocate for people, and he tried to help. Um, I Just recently, I will say recently, I will say about a month or two ago, I uh, received something on um, on Twitter, which – I didn't know it was true or not, and then we kind of looked it up, and then uh, we found out it was true that I was one of five um, black African-American pitching coaches ever in Major League Baseball. And when I thought about that, I was like, my goodness, that's that's something else. That's something kind of special um, being put into that category. And, you know, I don't remember all the names off the top of my head. I know Bertie Jenkins was one of them. Dave Stewart was one myself. Mike Harkey, and I remember the last one, but there was five of us. That's an elite group. Yes. And, and, and and understanding that, you know, it's not that it's just about me being an African-American, but it does mean something for the kids and those that, uh, you know, see me and, and the people in the community that do see me and say, hey, you know, I can do it also. And that, that's something, that means something to me. Yes, it does. It, it, being able to see yourself in other people and what you aspire to be is huge. Yeah. It is huge. That's a big deal. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I, I got to yeah, go look okay. that up now. I got to go look up who the Fudos 5 are. <laughs> I'm going to have to go find that out. <laughs> Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. What's up, everybody? It's Transcending Sport. I'm your host, Rob Cruz. My guest is number 44, Garvin Austin. Very good friend of mine. Former Minnesota Twins pitching coach. Consultant to Major League Baseball, USA Baseball Player Development Program. Garv, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Man, it's good to I can catch up with you, brother. It's, uh, it's been a while. Yeah, absolutely. So what I'm trying to do on this podcast, just so you know, um, I, I've been inviting people on the um, on my podcast that I have relationships with, for the most part. Either I'm, I have a relationship with this with a company, or I have a relationship with uh, um, like a coach or a, a, a friend that I grew up with that's still in the business of uh, either player development in some form or fashion, and. Um, it's been really, really cool to be able to um, touch base, reconnect, and just find out what people are doing. And everybody that's been on the podcast so far have all been masters with either 10 to 15 to 20 years of experience in their field. You know, so they have, you know, experience, hands-on, seen it all, done it all, been through it all. And we're able to, you know, get on the podcast and just kind of give people a little bit more of an inside perspective on said talent, said gift, said culture of the environment and where you're coming from and, and your perspective on, on how you, you're relating to the players. And so I'm really happy to have you on. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, Garvin and I, have go, we go back to high school, high school rivals. He played at Mount Vernon High School. I played at New Rochelle High School. And then we were teammates in college. After being high school rivals, we became really good friends and uh, you know, we swung a lot of apps and, and had a lot of great times, you know, just 
socially, baseball-wise, and just kind of grew up together in a sense, uh, going from, you know, into, into young adulthood. So, Garb, uh, just give us a quick, um, your path. Absolutely. Well, um, I'm originally from uh, Mount Vernon, New York. You know, I found my love of baseball from uh, Little League and going down to Brush Park and playing down there. And I kind of fell into, uh, you know, the love of high school ball and, and working out at Mr. B's. Uh, there's a few people out there that probably know about Mr. Frank Badalotta who, who taught a lot of young people uh, about the game and uh, baseball and, and the ins and outs. And I was uh, privy to have that that uh, wrestling room, as we call it, the AstroTurf room, as you know, um, to <laughs> yes. go down there and, and work on our craft and work on the small things and, and understand what the game of baseball is and, and, and just learn and be around guys that were older and better and, and watch them, how they went about their business. And that kind of was instilled in me. You know, I come from a, a baseball background with, you know, my dad was always out there and doing baseball stuff, whether it was with Little League or with Babe Ruth League and, and putting his time and volunteering his time with everything. So it was one of those things where we just all, with me, was out there and went to high school. And then from there, I went to uh, a, a small college. We call it the uh, uh, Mercy College. And um, at, at Mercy College, that was uh, where I met a, a lot of my good friends that I know today. Of course, I'm, I'm speaking to one of the best hitters in Mercy College history, Mr. Rob Cruz. Let's go to do the damn thing. But uh, we kind of grew from there, and uh, it was kind of love. And um, I had an opportunity to go to the uh, Cape Cod League, which at that time I really didn't know exactly what it was all about. And and finally, you know, I get there, I perform, I do well, and had the opportunity from other college coaches that said, "Hey, if you want to advance yourself in baseball, you need to, you know, step your level of game up and." it might be a good idea for you to transfer out and, and try someplace else. So I did. And uh, I transferred out to Florida International University. And um, at that time, I was selected for the uh, USA top, uh, I believe it's top 100 or top 120 players that went down to Homestead, Florida. And, um, you know, that was the first time if they want to call it, you know, my name was on the map. And uh, went out there, performed, did well, and, and then from there, you know, just got into professional baseball. And uh, 1992 was drafted by the Colorado Rockies in the 10th round and went out there, performed, played, and then Oregon. Wow, that was such a, a culture shock going to Ben Oregon from uh, being a New York kid and, and spending, you know, a year in Florida. It was something special. And uh, met up with uh, quite a few men who, you know, had the same dreams and aspirations of, of making it to the major leagues. and. And to be honest with you, the thing where I was kind of ignorant to the fact of what professional sports was all about, and uh, as you kind of go through it and you have the trials and tribulations and things that you go through, you kind of realize what it's really all about. And uh, so I had the fortune, um, the fortune to get ahead and get to the major leagues in uh, 1995 as a, uh, a right-handed pitcher out of the bullpen and. You know, I bounced around in the minor leagues back and forth, uh, 95 and 96, and then 97, you know, made the major league team, but unfortunately had a had an injury. And then from there, uh, having Tommy John, I never really got back to the level where I, I wanted to get back to and, you know, kind of filled around for about three more years in the minor league system, bounced around from the Dodgers to the Kansas City Royals, and I said, you know what, this is not for me. Um, you know, doing this and being away from my family just 
that's what I am as a family man. And um, decided to get ahead and uh, start working in Phoenix, Arizona as, as a guy that helped out with after school programs and helping kids and being a part of that. And uh, from there, I ran into an old buddy of mine. His name is Billy Owens. He is now the assistant uh, general manager, uh, player development, uh, player personnel, excuse me, with the Oakland Athletics. And he ran into me and said, hey, man, what, what you doing? I explained to him what I was doing. And uh, he said, man, you're a baseball guy. You've always knew the game of baseball. You had a passion for it. We need to get you back in. And literally 10 days later, I was with the Oakland A's organization. And uh, from there, I just started my my coaching career. And I spent, what, three years, three and a half years as a pitching coach of the low A and high A baseball team. Um, won a championship one year. I uh, went to championship three out of the four years that I was there. And then um, got promoted to being a coordinator. And then I realized, you know, the things that I wanted to do, some of those things I can uh, do as a coach and, and teach and kind of remember how my dad went about it and being there and trying to help and, and service others. Then you know, I kind of, I'd say that would be my calling as a person that wants to go ahead and serve and help and teach. And then from there, I got the opportunity of being a coordinator for four years for the uh, Oakland Athletics, actually five years, excuse me. And, uh, you know, my work was noticed by others in the industry and in doing so. Um, they, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks at that point in time called over and talked with Oakland and asked if, uh, if I'd be willing to be a, a bullpen coach in the major league. And, of course, the answer was yes. Pause and right there. Kinda... Pause right there. Because <clears throat> I want to get into, I really want to get into that. But take me back. Yeah. Take us back to being drafted by the Colorado Rockies. And I, if, my, if my memory serves me correctly, that was when they were an expansion team and you were a part of the expansion draft. So there was no big league team, but you were still playing professional ball for a team that had not been formed. What was that like? Uh, wow. You know, so, yeah, yeah it, well, you're exactly right. So the, the year that I got drafted in 1992, they didn't have a... Um, a major league baseball team. So they were going through transition of, of putting things together. So I was a part of the original um, first draft. Yeah. Um, yes, you were. <laughs> uh, at that time. And um, what ended up happening was later on that next, that off season, they had the expansion draft. And what they did with that was they were able to get ahead and go to all the other, I believe at that time was uh, 2018. And they were able to get ahead and pick guys that weren't protected on the 40-man roster. And there was a, a basically another draft of all the 30 major league, I mean, 30, excuse me, 28 major league clubs, and they were able to select players from there so they can get ahead and start building their organization. So in 1992, with the Colorado Rockies, we were it. We, we, were, we were the Rockies. And then um 93, they had the expansion draft. And then in 94, they were able to get ahead and put together a team uh, that was ready to go out there and perform and play. And, and that's when you get the names of the Marvin Freeman and, you know, the David Needs and um, Eric Young. And we can go on and on. And it was a whole bunch of different people. And then it was kind of a blessing in the skies being in an organization where it hasn't been built up yet. But you can tell at that point in time, they had a plan and they had a really good plan on what they wanted to do and build with pitching and understanding pitching in Colorado. 
you know, pitching is going to be their, their number one necessary evil to make sure things go, as well as plan so they can get ahead and be a team viable in the National League West. So that was that was strange, but it was also very good for those that are, are looking for the opportunity to get into the major leagues probably sooner than they expected to be. That's good. Okay, thank you. I, I just wanted to kind of set the put that into context yeah. for people because I don't think people really realize what that was like. Right. You know, um, with with the expansion draft and, and and being a draft and building actually being the first draftee for a major yeah. league baseball team that was just starting. So now, fast forward. I think you were going to go into like Arizona's Diamondbacks and your professional career at the big league level with the, with the Diamondbacks. Right. Okay. Right. So yeah, yeah. So I'll continue on from there. So I was with the Arizona Diamondbacks as a uh, as a bullpen pitching coach. My main pitching coach was uh, Mike Butcher, who's a a friend of mine that I knew whew, back in the day. He's more of a, a mentor. Um, been with the gosh the Anaheim Angels for a number of years. Uh, also, he was with the Tampa Bay Rays. Got his breakthrough there with uh, Coach uh, Joe Madden and, and others. So he was. Uh, really respected in the industry and you know he brought me along and taught me a lot and uh, on certain things as being a pitching coach in the major leagues such as you know how to handle major leaguers that got major league time in the game how to deal with these young kids that's coming up that's trying to be you know major league pitchers in the game but don't understand how to go about their work just yet so there were so many different things that he taught me also had the um, the privilege of being around uh, Tony, uh, um, excuse me, uh, uh, Tony, 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 I can't think of Tony's last name right now. Um, but anyway, Tony was our general manager. At the, Tony LaRusso, I'm sorry. Tony LaRusso was our general manager. And uh, Tony was able to get ahead and instill a lot of knowledge. And we had a connection being from the Oakland A's organization. Uh, but he taught me a lot. And I was there just listening and writing and, and, and just trying to understand you know the game it's a business when it comes down to it but the business is basically managing people right 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 so now tell me okay so major league pitching coach how much of it is in, is is you giving instruction how much of it is planning scouting reports looking at how you want to go go at certain hitters in the lineup uh how, how much time is how much time does it take uh pre-game preparation, um, pre-series preparation. When does that happen? Like, it seems like they have no time. Like, when do you have time to, like, sit down and say, hey, we're going to go through how we're going to work each hitter. We're going to look at their numbers and say, okay, this guy, you know, he pretty much hits all his hardest balls in this area of the field. I mean, how, how do you guys go about that? Well, it's, it's a combination of things. One, it all depends on how much work you want to put in, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you can put in as little work as, as possible. You can put a lot. And for me, I, I put in a ton of work just because one, you know, when I took the job for the Minnesota Twins and I was a pitching coach there, um, they were going through transition of switching things. Derek Falvey and Zab um, they they gave me the ability to get ahead and just learn as much as possible with everything new coming out. How I was taught coming up when I was with the Diamondbacks is you understand the team, you scout that team and what they do well, but the most important thing is you have to know your pitcher's strength yeah. and understand what they do well. Um, you know, Zach Greinke, <laughs> I had the privilege of being with him, um, you know, for that year and just watch him, how he works, 
before anything else, he has one of the best minds in baseball. Like he, he's a savant when it comes to certain things and just watching him, how he prepares and the things that he does, that allowed me to, you know, watch and see and then watching uh, Mike Butcher, we call him Butch, watching Butch go about his business every day. I was able to get ahead and put together, you know, my way of kind of doing things. So I'll just give you an example. So say we're playing the Milwaukee Brewers that, that's coming up that, you know, that next day or whatever. So I've already, you know, in the series that we're, whoever we're playing would go over, start going over their regular stats, whether it's um, bad average slugging, um, their walk, um, their swing rate, um, depending on who it is and what they're doing and how hot they are. I usually go back anywhere from five games um, to eight games. And you kind of just, um, you kind of go through seeing who's swinging the bat well, who's uh, hard contact, exit velocity, and things of that nature, and you just make little notes. And then you go back and you watch the video. Um, knowing that the next three games against the Milwaukee Brewers, um, they they have a we have a lot of right-handers that's going to pitch in that series. Or Corbin at that time was pitching. I make sure I pull up all the information on left-handed pitchers faced in the last you know eight games to see how they have done against them, or vice versa. And, and, what, and then when you do that, what's what, that? What kind of software are you using to pull that stuff up? Like how do you, how do you just pull it up, or you have like an iPad or something, or? Well, yeah, we, we were built to BATS. That was our, uh, our go-to uh, computer information system that we used. Um, we also had um, someone pulling that information also. So we'll, we'll have the information actually on our iPads, but I just didn't take that information myself. I also, since I'll go back a little further. So when I was with the Oakland Athletics as a coordinator, one of my jobs was to make sure that we do pitch development, pitch design, um, and things of that nature. So I really got into that. And in doing so, I was able to start to understand certain things of hitting and understand swings and how guys are getting a foot down. Uh, in a proper way, who's who's balanced, who's leaning forward, who's susceptible to pitching inside, up, down, and all those things. So with my training with the Oakland Athletics as a coordinator, I was able to bring that information as a pitching coach or a bullpen coach for the Diamondbacks and also Oakland and also the Minnesota Twins. So we take that information and you use it and you put together your notes. And then when you go to the pitcher, you say, this is what I'm saying. Did you do your homework? And at the time when I was at the Minnesota Twins, there was very few guys that actually did homework. Um, if anybody knows anything about the Minnesota Twins, um, they're a family organization that at that point in time really didn't get into the analytics all that much or they didn't um, progress to doing a lot of things. So, But they had a catcher, Jason Castro, who is highly intelligent from Stanford, played there, was an awesome individual, and very, very cerebral when he caught. Mm -hmm. So he did a lot of the work, and in doing a lot of the work, plus his years in the major leagues, he had a real feel and understanding on how to pitch certain people and how to get guys out. So when I got there, I was able to get ahead and use Jason and also use the... the, um, the information that was given to us by using the bats or the information that was given to us by our analytical team that we put together. And I was able to get ahead and draw different conclusions. And then I would sit with that pitching, uh, our starting pitcher for that day, 
and kind of go through our daily reports of how we're going to attack this team on coming up with a game plan. That's pretty cool. So, you know, I, I understand you spent some time uh, recently last in the last couple of weeks down in Florida. I believe you were at the IMG Academy. Yes. Yes. With the uh, with yes. Major League Baseball and USA Baseball and the PDP player development program and with pitching development with some of the youngsters coming up. Um, yes. What was that like? It was an amazing experience. It was the first time in, what, 23 years, 24 years that I was dealing with, you know, young kids and dealing with the uh, on the amateur status instead of dealing with the uh, professional status. And I tell you what, it was something that I felt really good about. It was an experience that I absolutely loved. It was an experience that allowed me to, you know, get that feeling again of being able to teach and help and, and be around good people. Um, it was it was brilliantly put together by Frank Dakota, who's the um, USA Baseball um, general manager, who kind of runs things over there a little bit. And we kind of met last year with the Minnesota Twins. He just recently recently just got that job, and uh, he's doing a wonderful thing. But along with myself and Alan Embry and Andy Pettit and Scott Radinsky, uh we were the four pitching coaches that actually helped these 80 80 kids that came out and they placed them on different teams. It was a team Howard, um, team Jones, the team Jeter. And, uh, there was another team in there, but, um, yeah, team Larkin. And, um, so basically they split the teams up into 20 players per team and we coached them up. We had some fun. We kind of highlighted their abilities and paid attention to the things that they can do extremely well and, and things we need to work on. And, you know, um, you know, Latch was our pitching coordinator, and Latch had everything pretty much spelled out on how he wanted things to go, and it, it went pretty smoothly. It was great. So, what what were some of the things that you saw? Maybe some of the so get, like top three common things or top two common issues that you'd like if you if you were talking to some young pitchers out out in the uh, in the world right now. Hey guys, you know we got to do it better. We could do better in this area. We could do better in that area. What are the things that just kind of jumped out at you that's a little bit different or that you felt like it was like a universal issue? <laughs> Absolutely, Rob. Um, <laughs> the, the number one thing that, that jumped out, not just to me, to every single one of the pitching coaches that was there, is that everybody wanted to throw the ball extremely hard and no one commanded the baseball. Mm. That, was, that was the number one thing that was just so eye-popping. And... and and there's a reason for it. And so the reason before is is this. These guys are understanding that they're on the circuit, they're out here and they're going to different events, and all they're doing is trying to maximize 10 throws, uh, a throw from the outfield, um, swing the bat as hard as you can, which is not a bad thing. And, and, and that's what I had to explain to these guys. We want you, we love velocity, but if you can't throw the ball hard without commanding it, what good are you? If you're going to get into a 2 0 count every single time that you're out there facing these hitters, you're going to lose the majority of the time when you reach, reach a level where you're equal to. Right now, in high school, you can do that. You can get away with, there's probably two guys in a lineup that might be able to hit your good fastball. So I get it. I understand it. But so what we try to impress upon these young men is, yes, we understand you can throw the baseball 95 miles an hour, but can you throw 95 where you want it to go? 
Mm-hmm. And that's what we were trying to explain to them. Um, understanding that your secondary pitches are important. Yes, throw them, develop them, but understand everything works off the fastball. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was just a <laughs> epidemic. I mean, you, you, you kind of can't blame that. them. You can't blame them. They're living in a world, they're coming up in a world where, where metrics are king. And Correct. the highest numbers are the best numbers. Right. And, and they're, they're competing against radar guns and stopwatches and clocks and, and, and measurements. Correct. Correct. It, it, but, but, and but, I agree. But, but, as a, but you know, based on your Major League Baseball experience, <laughs> that you have to be able to get a hitter out. You're not, you're not going up Correct. against technology. You're going up against a person. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so and, I, I totally Robbie, get it, yeah. You said it perfectly, perfectly and, that, and that's the thing. And, you know, don't blame the kids. I mean, the yeah. kids are just doing what's expected of them. Right. You know, the industry is what it is where they're looking for the best arms or the person that can hit the ball the hardest or who can spin it the best. And I get that. Those are very important for Major League Baseball and, and having your farm system filled with these type of arms so you can develop them and do the things you want to do. But you can't lose sight of the difference between the tools and being able to play the game. And I said this while I was there, and I'll keep saying this. Baseball is a cycle. These things come around, come around, and it goes back to where it is. And every time it goes back, it always goes back to what was fundamentally sound about baseball. It's being able to pitch, command the baseball, change speeds, get the ball on the ground early, and then have your um, defense. So pitching and defense win championships. So if you're able to go ahead and do that on a consistent basis through 162 ball games and throw strikes and keep the defense on their toes, a lot of positive things are going to happen for your team and for that pitcher. <laughs> That's great. So, so, so pitching is a very has always been to me has always been a very complicated and perplexing thing because there's so many um, so many variables. And the human element is so is such a big deal because right. everybody's bodies are different, arm lengths are different, fingers are different, yeah. um, arm angles and, and release points are different, and then of course, individual susceptibility to injuries right. are are you know obviously is a concern as at an MLB level because we can't afford to have injuries when we when we rely so heavily on on, a, on our pitching staff. So, what are some of the things that you know you had to do, um, whether it was spring training, off season, um, in season? I, I guess it would be three different ways. I guess it would be three different. It would be four. I guess it would be off season, preseason, in season, and then like. So, what would be the some of the things that you would do off season, in season, and preseason um, that would help with well, reducing your risk of injuries, injury prevention? What were some of the things that you guys did at the big league level? Well, there's a few things in play there, Rob. Um, You know, one of the things I did before I became an actual pitching coordinator for the Oakland Athletics, I was a rehab pitching coordinator uh, for them for two and a half years, along with the assistant pitching coordinator. So some of the things that uh, I was able, I was privy to with Dr. Flyschick and, and different guys and player development, I was able to be around some of the initial findings of, you know, arm injuries, Tommy John's, uh, rotator cuff injuries, and, and things of that nature. The one thing that I took away from that for my two and a half years, or three years, I should say, of being a rehab coordinator is that 
you don't know. No one really knows. It, to me, it starts off at the amateur level and understanding that your arm only has the X amount of throws in it. And uh, if you start off at a young age of, you know, improper throwing and, and doing things that's going to get him to start the breakdown of different ligaments and different joints at that point in time, it may not be to the point where you can't play, but it might be to the point where you start the process and then as your body grows and your body stretches and you start getting into the, the collegiate level or get to the uh, professional game in the minor league side, these things have a tendency to get ahead and keep stretching and keep breaking down to the point once you get to the professional level, now all of a sudden we have a problem. When it comes to the major league side and everything else, my whole thing is I'll start with the off season. You gotta have an off season throwing program that's going to build you. Uh, a lot of times guys don't know what that takes. They don't understand that because they've never been in a program or never had a program that's actually helping them build to get ready for the season. So what So what that, does that look like? What does that look like? An off-season off, an off season throwing program? I, I'm a major league baseball player. Uh, I, right. play, I, I just played a 162-game season. I'm a, I'm a starter. I pitched every four, four or five days. Um, so that's probably about 30, 30 35 starts maybe. Now, um, now we, we go, my team didn't make the postseason, let's say. When do I start that? How much time do I take off after the season? Do I, do I go right into it? How's that, how's that, what does that look like? Okay, so there's, there's different ways of looking at it. So with the Oakland Athletics, when I developed a program for the minor league side, which is the same thing that we use for the major league and minor league side, what we did was we gave them two options. We gave them the option of rest early and continue to get their program going. Well, we gave them the option of continuous light throwing. I personally like the, the continuous throwing, meaning once the season ends, we'll just use arbitration or arbitrary dates. Um, let's use uh, season ends of September. You will take two weeks off, two, three weeks off, and then from there you'll start playing catch two times a week for the first two weeks. Just playing light catch, no more than 50 feet, going out there just playing catch back and forth. So you're constantly doing your workouts, your leg workouts, uh, you're doing whatever it is that you're doing, or you're resting, whatever it is, but your arm is still active. After the first two weeks, we just get in advance. It's still doing two weeks, uh, two times a week. You'll back that out to probably 75 feet. Nothing strenuous, nothing more. Just staying at 75 feet, playing light catch, maybe 20, maybe 25 throws. Um, as the, the year goes on, you get close to November, you push it up to three, three times a week. And now you'll, you'll stretch it out from 75, you go up to 100 feet. So there's a progression as far as the weeks are concerned and going where there's not a lot of downtime. What I feel personally is that most people or most pitchers end up pitching a full season, go home, do absolutely nothing when it comes to their arm care, and getting themselves or throwing. And what ends up happening, you go all the way back down to zero. My, my theory is don't go down to zero, go down to 50. Mm -hmm. And now it'll be an easier climb so your arm doesn't have to get all the way back to 100% in a shorter period of time. Now you're just going from 50 to 100. Um, I'm a big believer in long toss. I believe that they a situation where if guys do it properly, use their feet, understand how to use, you know, um, the, the right type of energy, kinetic energy when they're throwing. These things, to me, 
actually strengthen the arm instead of breaking down the arm. Mm -hmm. um, delivery work, understanding what your delivery looks like, how does it feel for you, um, understanding what ground force is, understanding when to use ground force, understand what phase of your arm when you're, you're hitting the ground and where you're at it, are you lagging, are you up top, uh, do you have a proper front hip, back shoulder separation, like all those different things matter. And all those things can be cleaned up when you're actually doing your throwing program. If you have someone that's there watching and understanding what that looks like. That's great. So, so I was thinking, um, is there a dip? Like, okay, so you have, you show up to, let's say, spring minor league ball, right? Spring season. Okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe like late spring because you got the draftees coming in after June. Got different guys are getting signed and they show up. Where they show up like maybe what mid June, end of June, if, if everybody gets signed earlier, or how's that? Is that how it works? Yeah. So yeah, mid mid June will be the time they set to show up. Yes. And and what's the difference between the high school draft pick pitcher and the college draft pick pitcher versus even the the international Dominican Republic, Panamanian kids, uh, Venezuelan. Like what? What's the are the differences in like the culture? Because like, there's a high school culture, obviously. There's a yeah. there's a college culture, and then there's that yeah. there's the, there's that like the Latin culture is, is the those are three very very different cultures. How does that Absolutely. play in, and how do you deal with that? Because now you got to try to integrate, th you know, three different cultures into one culture. What are some yeah. of the differences and some of the similarities that you find in, in player development coming from three different cu cultures? Well, for me, um, you know, understanding that there are three different, you know, cultures, age groups. Um, yeah. You want to you want you want to get them on your page. You want to get them on your organizational page. So that takes, when I say time, effort, and understanding what they did prior to getting to um, that extended spring training before their season starts. That means you got to be in constant communication with them and the people that they're working with in the back home or through their college um, or through their high school. Once you're able to get ahead and develop a base of what they've done in the past, we did three years. We went back three years and watched their innings total and how either it went up, down, or stayed the same. And then we'll make our assessments off of that. Um, I'll, I'll use a picture that's kind of in my brain right now with a high school pitcher that we got. He was a first-round draft pick for the Oakland Athletics not too many years ago. He was a premier pitcher, power arm. And the one thing that we wanted to do was make sure we ease him into the into the process. You know, he threw a lot of innings. He was the best player in his city. So he pitched a lot when it came to his team, but he also played in every single one of those games of all-star this and all-star that and being part of the USA you know, under 17 um, uh, league and everything else. So we had to take in that this kid had a lot of usage for a 17-year-old kid uh, at, at that point in time. So our job at that point in time was to get to, we need to build this guy up. It's not important to get him into games right now. We need to build him up and get him ready for a full season or half season for the following year. It's about the longevity of these young guys, especially your top-round draft choice. These are guys that you want to get ahead and prepare, but also allow them to compete. If they're not healthy, they can't compete. So, and understanding that it's a long season for the next year, 
what we decided to do was say, okay, he's only going to pitch X amount of innings for this year, but it's going to be a lot of prep work. It's going to be a lot of delivery work. We're going to work on his third pitch. So when it comes to the three different uh, entities that's the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Latin countries, college, it's bottom line when it comes down to is how much work that they put in prior to getting to your organization, and then you make your assessment there. Once you do that, you can funnel them into your organization, whether it's controlling their innings, controlling their um, their effort level, which is a highly, highly, highly underrated thing when it comes to these young guys. Once they get off the circuit, these young guys, they don't understand that if you plan on throwing every pitch as hard as you can for a full season, you're going to break. Yeah. You are. I don't, I don't care who you are. And, and understanding that and teaching these guys that understanding what your effort level is. Again, I go back to the throwing program. The throwing program is where you learn how to channel your energy and understand how to propel a baseball and throw it properly. So when you do that, you're learning how to pitch by doing a throwing program. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, so I'm wondering if uh, you found that there were, I think, pre-draft. The, the interview process or the research process into a pitcher's background, what school of thought did they come out of? What type of uh, approach to the to their delivery did they come out of? Which can determine how well they're going to fit into right what you guys are doing as an organization. I think I think that might be something. And, and, and then and then I guess my next question would be, and what kind of technologies were you guys uh, implementing to help? with the assessment uh, the assessment of some of the some of the athletes well going back a, a few years at that point in time the, our technology was scouts scouts and a video camera yep. get, in, get into the, <laughs> get into the, their house and get into their rooms talk to their parents talk to their friends yep. um, it was a it's more personal um, guys were able to get in there and and kind of do the things that they do and, and be personable with them and, and really understand who they are as people um, before they understand who they are as they're going to be a player, performer, or pitcher. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I would say the last few years, three years, four years, uh, with the technology advancing the way it is with TrackMan and um, Rapsodo and doing using different um, tools that, that you can use to get ahead and start evaluating people. That's become a huge asset to where guys are able to get ahead and get these guys and get data from them and kind of put a comparison or a comp on these guys on what their balls do compared to those that are in the major leagues and those that are, are succeeding in the major leagues and kind of can put things together. Uh, I know in the past we would get different emails from really with scouting directors or from different people as a pitching coordinator and said, hey, uh, we're looking at this guy, blah, blah, blah. Here's 10 videos. Um, take a look at the arm action and everything else and give us an assessment. And I was able to get ahead and, and help out with that process along with, you know, Scott Emerson and um, Gil Patterson and those guys or whatever that I, that I work with. So it was a, a constant conversation, communication between, you know, player development, scouting, and helping each other. And also our... Um, our athletic uh, strength and conditioning athletic department and our athletic trainers. Like all these things have to work in unison. Even though we're different departments, we have to work together and kind of 
spin and say, hey, this is what I'm saying, send it to, you know, Jeff Collins, who was our head um, a baseball athletic trainer, and then he will look at it and he'll say, you know, I'm standing here, the elbow and shoulder is at this degrees, blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm saying. This is a proponent for injury or not, uh, vice versa, and kind of going back and forth. And, you know, our strength and conditioning guy would take a look at it and say, hey, I'm looking at his lower half. You know, he's, he must have had an injury somewhere before because his right hip is not firing the way it should be and blah, blah, blah. Then once they get him in, and do the assessment test, you know, it usually comes out that they were right on what they were seeing when they were pitching. Right. <clears throat> so, talk to me about, and, and I, I find that, you know, a lot of the, a lot of big league coaches that I have conversations with who have children that play are, are still, okay, you're in the big leagues, but you have a child that plays. So you're yeah. you're 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 in two different worlds. So you get to see the culture of Major League Baseball, but you also get to see the culture of amateur baseball, and that, that's going to help you to have a better understanding of what those guys that you're getting are coming out of, and it makes you a more relatable coach. So, and I guess you know you know where I'm going now. So having a son, yeah. having a son that played baseball at a really high level, uh, if you, if you're comfortable with talking about that, how, how does that how does that you know? Tell us a little bit about your son and his his successes and, and uh, what's up with him right now. Yeah, it's a, it, it kept me connected. Um, you know, it kept me connected to the, the young people here. And, and it's not just my son. I'll just throw in a, a tidbit also with my wife, who's a, a school teacher. Yes. And um, being around the kids and understanding how they think and, and understanding, you know, I, I learned this from my wife about eight years ago. She came in and she was like, you know, I have to find a different way of teaching these kids. I was like, what do you mean? She said, the old curriculum that we have, it's not working for them. These guys are a little bit short, shorter with their endurance to learn. So we have to do it in small little segments. And I go, what do you mean? So she goes, well, they're on Twitter. They're on that Instagram thing. And she kind of went down the whole, she said, they're learning in like 10 minute intervals. And then off to the next thing. So... That's how I have to present it to them so they can, I have to be in their mode. I have to be able to get them to see the information in a short period of time and then repeat that information, but only in short segments where where I learned and that I was coming up, it was here's the book, read the whole book, and we'll go over it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, it's different. The style of learning is different. Yeah. Um, I With my son, you know, it took me some time to understand it because I was trying to teach him the way I learned. You know, let's let's get after, let's let's do this, let's do that, and then and just a caveat to that also, I didn't start teaching, and people don't believe this, and you can talk to my wife about this, of course. I didn't start teaching my son anything about baseball and pitching until his second year at Arizona State University. Are you freaking kidding like, me? And people were like, why'd you do that? I said, because I understood the relationship between being a dad and coach. And the lines could be blurred extremely easily. And I said, now, don't get me wrong. I kept him around me. He was uh, available to every single pitcher, every single coach that was around there. He got coaching tips. He got things. Whenever he asked me, he said, dad, is there a reason why this happens? I would explain it to him. But as far as coaching and getting him ready... I didn't do it until that time because I wanted him and I said to him, said, gee, whenever you're ready to go, 
let me know. I said, because my teaching style is a little bit different. And I want our relationship as father-son to stay the way it is because it's beautiful. He, he tells me everything. We, we have a great path um, to our conversations and communication. So I didn't want that interrupted. So when he came to me, I knew he was ready to get ahead and, and go to the next level because he was you know, not satisfied with where he was at or the information that he was receiving. That's, that's beyond, that's something else. But um, when it comes to just being with my son and understand how he was being taught, to be honest with you, he wasn't being taught a lot of stuff when it comes to delivery. The, the words, the words that I kept hearing from certain college coaches and pitching coaches and everything, throw the ball hard, throw the ball hard. And, and that's great. I, I love that. Throw the ball hard. How is he supposed to throw the ball hard? Is he someone that's supposed to get into his glutes? Is he somebody that needs to, a quicker stop so he's not going to have five and a half length of, of steps or feet um, to his delivery? Does he need only five? Um, are you understanding that he's six foot two right now and still growing and now he's six foot four and a half and understand that his limbs weren't yet fully developed but everything wasn't ready to go are we paying attention to those small things are we paying attention to that these guys are 18 years old and their minds are not developed yet like what what are we doing are we just telling them to do something because we say to do it are we teaching these young men that this is the reason why you can't get here so this is what you need to focus your your mind on. Right. Let's get ahead and focus on commanding the ball. Let's move the ball in and out. The velocity will come eventually. So let me and ask, so let me let me ask you this: do, do you do you find? And this is as you're talking, I'm thinking. I'm like, okay, I, do you find a a? I know that if you grew up if you grew up in a music household, yeah, you're gonna probably be pretty more musically a lot more musically inclined. Or you grew up yeah. in a house with artists and there's paint and paintbrushes all around the house all, all your life. You're gonna have a natural right. inclination to 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 and a gift for art and design, right? Um, just just with little G growing up, <laughs> little G, <laughs> just <laughs> just with little G growing up around you, and just around baseball, and so how do you? So I guess where I'm going is, do you find that when you guys draft people that come from a baseball family, uh-huh. those athletes? go through the progression of the process a lot more a lot faster a lot more natural than someone who probably didn't like you know, you know, uh, you know the, the son of a big leader do do? the son of a big leader who, who's been in the dugout who's been on the hanging out on, around the field all, all his life yes yeah, so how's the how, what the mentality's got to be different yes I, I would agree with you the, the thought of it is and this is just my personal thought and from the things that I've seen, you know, I was have a the privilege of being around uh, Pete Rose Jr. when he was coming up and Pete Rose. See, when you're around the game, you become a product of your environment. Um, yeah. You know, everybody, you, you've heard the, the, it takes a village. So yeah. if you're around a village of baseball players and baseball minds that actually love and care the game, that instinct and that love gets passed on to those that are around, the youngest that are, that are around, uh, even without us knowing it, we're teaching them without even talking to them because they're watching everything that we do and everything that we say. So little G had the privilege of being around, you know, the Andrew Bailey, the Sean Doolittles yeah. uh, of the world. Um, you know, so when he was around them, you know, first of all, you know, he had lefties that he can kind of 
Brett Anderson and those guys, he was able to get ahead and talk with them and, and joke around with them and play video games with them in the clubhouse and things of that nature. Um, so he felt that this was his community, that yeah. he was part of that. Yeah. And because of that, he was able to, like now, him being with the Chicago White Sox right now, he's like, Dad, I feel at home in the in the clubhouse. Like, he feels very comfortable. So he told me this just the other day that he started taking, they have um, um, Spanish classes for all the Latin kids to get ahead and learn English better. And there's a, a few um, English speaking Americans actually in those classes. And he's taking those classes also because he wants to be able to talk with them and communicate with those that don't know the language well. And what that does, which he realizes now, yeah, he's developing a bond with these uh, Latin players that don't speak great English. And that's going to go a long way. Whether he makes it to the major leagues or not, it's going to go a long way because they're going to say, hey, he cares enough about us to come in here to try to learn a different language or a new language. That's, that's, that is great. <clears throat> that's really great. So uh, <laughs> we got a lot to think about right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm, you know, what I mean, so if, if anybody wanted to keep in touch with you, um, how would they find you on social? And, and then also what's next for Garvin Austin? Like where, where are you at now with your with career and what's next for you? Um, at, at this, yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy, man. It's been, it's been eye-opening, it's been humbling to a degree. You know, being a person that came kind of through the ranks and there's a lot of people say that I got there before I'm supposed to be there, but I don't believe that. I believe God um, has a plan for me and he put me in those situations where I'm supposed to be to learn and um, I am doing that. So this year, my whole goal was to get ahead and reinvent myself or to get ahead and put myself into a position of, well, he didn't know this or he didn't do this or whatever have you so all those things that were said negatively about me which a lot of people forgot about the positive stuff that was created with the Minnesota Twins um, those are the things that I'm doing now for example um, trying to learn a lot more when it comes to how the body works mm -hmm. um, how the body kinetically works and how ground force helps um, pitching um, the new terminology for pitching because I go back to it and the information that I'm getting, there's nothing different from the old school pitching to the new school pitching, nothing. If you go back and watch the videos of the um, Pedro's and Roger Clemens and things of that nature, there's nothing different. They, they pitched up in the zone. They used their fastballs up in the zone, but that was usually after they went fastball down or fastball in or breaking ball down or down the way. What's different is that they commanded their baseball over what baseball is doing right now. They right. think velocity t takes over for command, so right. and it's not true. So um, what I'm doing right now presently is trying to refine who I am so I can get back on the circuit and try to achieve, not try, but about to get my new <laughs> major league pitching coach position, uh, whenever that may be. Um, so I'm doing different uh places calling talking um talking to guys that's in the major i mean i still talk to the guys in the minnesota twins um i talk to uh, other teams the diamondbacks and as they the nation of nationals i talk to players uh I just talked to ryan presley via text the other day uh and we just talked about the different things that the houston astros are kind of doing and what they're 
their philosophy is and how they're going about it. So these things, I'm trying to just better myself when it comes to just being more um, ready or just being ready for the next opportunity that's coming my way. When it comes to social media and things like that, I'm on there, but, you know, I'm not doing too much. I'm on Instagram. Um, you can just go to Garvin Austin. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't remember my too much. and <laughs> everything else. But I, I'm out there. If you just uh, Google me and put me out there, I'll pop up for sure. Um, what else? Um, I, I do baseball lessons here in Arizona. Um, taking a small break for that right now since the weather has been 112. Um, every single day so yeah we've been kind of either doing it early in the morning or not and basically just going out there and trying to teach these young high school kids um, you know proper preparation getting yourself ready for a season uh, understand where your hand needs to be at foot strike and things of that nature yeah okay alright man well I am really I, I was I was fired up about doing this one this is this is a special <laughs> one out of all the podcasts I've done this one probably yeah. the most special out of all of them because of my relationship with you um, and you know and how much of an inspiration that you have been to me yeah throughout, yeah. throughout, throughout, yeah. throughout yeah. our just uh, our whole relationship so um, I'm really you know in your corner I got your back you know however I can however I can, however I can have your back um, please no give, your, give the family my regards Natasha little G and the rest of the family absolutely um, and hopefully we get you back on here uh, soon, in short order, I'd like to bring you back a couple more times. There's so many things that we didn't get to go over that probably yeah. we, need, we needed to go over, but this is a, this, this was like a great way just to introduce you to my podcast audience so that they know, hey, you know, Garvin also he's, he's going to be back on with talking this, talking that, and just experience, okay. just the, the amount of experience and the amount of things that you have seen. Um, that stuff, that that's invaluable. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. And um, you know, we got. You, I'm sure you have great things down the road. And I think, I think, education and re-education, and, and that's been my motto. Like, I always want to be re-educated. I always want to be, yeah. uh, learn, 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 learn. And I, I find myself always in learning mode. Yeah. And sometimes you got to learn. Sometimes I got to read two, three books just to get three things <laughs> out of it. Just to get three small exactly. things out of it. But I, but those three small things are going to go a long way with how I'm able to help people. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, um, and, and I think that's kind of where it comes down to. The, the best coaches in the world, you know, their success is rooted in, in, in their desire to help others. You know, it comes down to how, how much are you willing to want to help someone and be a servant and serve exactly. other people. And then yes. just in that, you become great at what you're doing without even realizing it. Realizing and, and all you want yeah. to do is just help somebody. And then I think that's really what, what true, the essence of true coaching and player development is. It's we just want to help as many people as we can, and we want to know we want to know we want to we want to know what we're doing. We want to make sure that we're doing yes. it right, and we got to go out and get the information so that we can be right yeah. and we can be helping people. And um, yes. and I think that's really what it comes down to. So um, again, thanks no for coming on the show. I'm gonna go ahead and sign off. This is Transcending Sport. I'm your host Rob Cruz. Our guest was Garvin Austin. See y'all later.